now we have the opportunity to hear from Mr. Barnum, Mr. Grayson again, and he's going to give us a very interesting message. One and only Alpha Omega. Alpha and Omega. There are two Greek symbols that Jesus used to describe himself. And we see this over in Revelation 1.8 where it says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. So in the sermon this afternoon, we will look back just a little uh, and then see where we are today and then have a little brief look ahead as to what's ahead. So let's start in Genesis 1, chapter 1, verse 1, where it says that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now, according to uh, the King James Study Bible, the Nelson King James, uh, he comments that this Genesis covers more time than any other book. The whole light of man all the way to the coming of Jesus Christ. So it's all in, in, within uh, those chapters. So everything we see about God's creation of, of the heavens and the earth, whatever we see, all those uh, things that we don't see, you know, the stars, the planets, galaxies, whales and plankton and things of that sort, we know that they were created all the way from Adam and Eve to every human being, every person, every girl and boy, every man and woman today, that we are the result of that creation. So there's been a lot of time from this present to, to those ancient times. But we know that everything was created by an awesome being that we know as, as God. Now some see... Uh, life as just merely the result of, of evolution, mindless evolution at that, with no God needed. But for sure, there was a point billions of years ago at, as astronomers and scientists know, they, uh, they all agree that there was a point at some, some time in the ancient past that all of this came together. And some point to, the, you know, the Big Bang, where everything, uh, just a giant explosion, exploded all the matter, the energy, and everything off into space, what we see today in an expanding universe. Now, evolutionists see all this as a result of mindless happenstance that over time began the development of life on Earth, and that's the notion, uh, just the notion, it's kind of a, a sen uh, illogical notion that Life came from non-life. In the book I read a long time ago, I had written down this quote from, from that uh, person. He wrote that life began as the product of an accidental recipe, an algorithm, a mechanical formula that basically states that life had to occur 
sooner or later from selfish genes seeking to reproduce. So another writer also wrote that there are mountains of evidence, why don't we accept it? So to me, and I think to most of us, the theory really makes no sense. And even though uh, many great scientists promote it as, as a fact. Now we know if you have some of your old biology textbooks or science textbooks, there's a statement in there, uh, a biological principle that life comes only from life. But evolutionary science seeks to disprove uh, that principle because to believe in that principle would require them to confess that there is a mighty being, an intelligent being who created all things. And so uh, most want to just disprove him at the same time trying to prove that what we see around us just developed from nothing. But we know that in fact science has yet to prove that life comes from non-life. And to disprove that God has always been, as we have studied in our Bible and know from our readings. Now, there are some scientists, of course, who point to these lab experiments that shows how uh, a little experiment can show you how life can produce the amino acids and all of those things that are the building's blo uh, blocks of life. But as I read one uh, observance about this is that when you take into consideration how the, these experiments are made, uh, how they, the, the construction of the, the box or the, uh, the uh, uh, experiment, they had to put the gases in it, the right kind of gases in it. They had to build it. In other words, it had to be made from start by you know, a person who had the intelligence to make it. So that proves that there had to be some intelligence to make uh, what we see in our life today around us. And so those experiments actually proved just one thing, the, uh, that there was intelligent design. I've read also that to some, this phrase, uh, intelligent design, is an insult to real intelligence, for they believe that there is no higher intelligence than man himself. So there are many books about the debate between creation and the theory of evolution, but uh, don't intend to go into all of that. But what is plain to us is that everything in life shows the hand of intelligent design and the hand of an intelligent being. We can look around and even at ourselves, and you know, look at our hands and our face in the mirror and everything around here we know was made because there, in life there is complexity, there's variety, there's structure and beauty and symmetry and perfection which shows the guiding hand of intelligence which demands a designer, not the hand of mindless happenstance. So in this opening verse of Genesis 1, we are met with a choice to believe or not believe what the rest of the Bible has to say about creation and the creator, about his plan and about his purpose and his will for mankind, for you and me, and our ultimate destiny as a child of his. And so we see here the aim of creation. In Genesis 1.26, it says, And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air 
and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God made it for his creation. And with the idea of creating, the aim of creating man in their likeness. This word God here, however, is from the Hebrew uh, word Elohim. And I'll explain a little bit more about that later as we go along. Genesis 2-7 now. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. So I, I can understand how you know, scientists are thinking, well, how can this be? How we take the dirt? And, but in a way, uh, the scientists themselves are saying life came from these uh, molecules you know, that are in the soil, in the dirt, that somehow it was a soupy seed that all of these uh, uh, cells and cause of lightning became uh, the first uh, spark of man. So was God speaking to himself when he said, let us make man in our image? He had to have been talking to someone else. Now in chapter 1 of the Gospel of John, verses 1 through 4, these words that are there are similar to Genesis 1-1 in that it says, in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So who is this being that is called the Word? As you know, uh, in Greek, the, uh, this word, the word is logos, and it means spokesman. So a spokesman, you know, is, is defined as a representative of another or others that speaks for that uh, particular person or others. So this spokesman is the one we know of whose English name that we see is Jesus Christ, or Yeshua, in the Hebrew language, that Messiah who was with God and was God. And without him was not anything made that was made. So this spokesman was the voice at creation. And throughout both the Old Testament and the New, we see the words spoken by Jesus. So he must have been the one who said, let us, let us, plural, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So the Logos was speaking to another being called God, who must have been the Father, who must be the Father. So the Apostle John, in John 1.18, we see these words, verse 18, that no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, is, uh, which is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. That is, that is he has proclaimed or announced him. And in John verse 37 John wrote what Jesus said during uh, concerning the father saying and the father himself which has sent me has borne witness of me and you have neither uh, heard his voice at any time nor seen his shape so we have Jesus Christ who is a creator who was God and who is uh, was sent by God and both created the heavens and the earth now, back to Genesis 1-1, one, one, 
It's assumed that this passage refers or implies that there is just one single being called God who created the heavens and the earth. This Hebrew word for God in this verse is Elohim, which is uniplural. It's an appellation, the name that means more than one, uh, more than one God being at creation. That uh, appellation is used about 2,570 times in, in the Bible, and it indicates a plural majesty. So there were two beings, and God created the heavens and the earth, or Elohim. Some tra uh, interprets as the mighty ones. So as we read in John, as we read in John uh, chapter 1, and uh, verses 1 through 3, confirms that fact. Remember Jesus saying, I and my Father are one, not two beings, but they're one. Together in mind, together in unity, yet as separate God beings. So Jesus was Elohim, just as the Father is Elohim. The, and Jesus was the voice and the God who spoke words that we read in the Bible. That everything that was created was to be put under the rule of mortal human beings. Won't go over all the uh, aspects of creation, the, the details that are laid out, Genesis uh, verses 13 through 27, but we know that there were six days of creation, physical creation. And, uh, but specifically on the sixth day, verses 24 through 25, where we see God created cattle and beasts of all kinds and every kind of creeping thing, and God's, God saw that it was good. So in verse 26, God said, then let us make man in our image after our likeness. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This is, you know, the physical creation of man. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. On down to verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made, that it was good. And behold, very good, it says. And the evening and the morning was the sixth day. So the heavens and the earth were created with a plan and designed for a purpose, not in vain, not a fruitless uh, attempt at something whimsical, but for a purpose with mankind in main as the aim. So we see that there is an A to Z plan of salvation for human life uh, from uh, Alpha to Omega. So from beginning to end in every book of the Bible, we can find the presence of Jesus in them. And we see the purpose of life and the plan of salvation that is laid out. So we'll look briefly at uh, ten places Ten books, but you could squeeze in all the other uh, books of the Bible and see Jesus in them. But I'll start with the five in the beginning, five books, uh, then five books in the end. And so these books, they lay out our part, our path to fulfill that purpose of God in our lives. Now in the book of Genesis, beginning in the book of Genesis, we see the promises of the coming of God as Savior and Redeemer. When Adam and Eve 
disobeyed, you know, they, they, they felt guilt and, and they tried to hide. And they learned at that time the difference between good and evil. Like we do at some point in our life. You know, we're good to a point and then all of a sudden we know we do have done something wrong and we realize it. But after all, God gave them and he gave us the power of choice of life and death there in the Garden of Eden. And we see what, you know, some say it was, it was the fall of man. But we also see the compassion of God who saw and knew their weakness and our weaknesses and that there was a tempter who was there to try to ruin the plan of God and to destroy mankind in creating man, who is creating man in the likeness of them. Genesis chapter 3 Verse 15, when Adam and Eve had disobeyed, God told the devil, he said, I will put enmity between your seed and her seed. It shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So uh, this is referring to the seed of the woman and referring to the birth of Jesus that, would, that was to come. And the time came when Christ was sent to be the savior of mankind. Because, you know, the, the famous scripture, God so loved the world, sent his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him should have everlasting life. So, 1 John 3, verse 8, it says, For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. So, we can look to Jesus to look for look to Christ, and follow him to the end. John 16, 33, I know probably I don't have some of these scriptures down. You can jot them down if you want to. John 16, 33 tells us that to be of good cheer. Because he said, I have overcome the world. Resisting temptation, patience of the devil, and his power to, uh, Satan had the power to hand over the cities of the world to Christ, and Neither the Father's will, but Christ overcame that because he was there for a purpose, for a spiritual purpose, for our sakes. So Satan had a chance to destroy Christ who was in human flesh. If you look at John chapter 19, I'm going to point this out in John 19 verse 30. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. That uh, at his uh, death on the cross, that he realized that everything that he was born to was now finished. He gave up the spirit. Now, in the book of Exodus, we see him as what would stand out most as uh, uh, as Jesus in Exodus. That would be he is our Passover lamb coming to free us from the captivity of sin and death. Another quote, John chapter 1, verse 29, where it says, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. That's what John the Baptist said. And then the, the Apostle Paul said, Christ is our Passover sacrificed for us. So we see Christ here in the book of Exodus that would foretell his time when it came in the New Testament to be crucified. First Peter 
quote from there, 1 Peter 1, 19, says we are not redeemed by corruptible things, but by the precious blood of Christ, the lamb without blemish and without spot. Now over in the book of Leviticus, we see Christ as our, as our high priest, as our atonement for sin, who by his own blood entered into the holy place and obtained eternal redemption for us. Go to Hebrews 9, uh, 11 through 12 to see that. So we see that he is our help in time of need. I know that as time goes by, we, we need help. Need help uh, from a source that is dependable, from one who has the power to help us when we're feeling down or when we're feeling pain or feeling lost or feeling hurt. Now Hebrews 4 13, there is not any creature that is not manifest in his sight. That would involve quite a few things. You know, in, in Matthew it talks about he knows when a bird falls. So there's not any creature that is not manifest in his sight. But all things are naked and opened unto his eyes of whom we have to do. Verse 14, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Knowing that we believe in Christ, knowing that he is there at the right hand of God and all of the essentials to our becoming in the likeness of God, that we need to hold fast this profession that we have. So in this profession, you know, we, we come to services, we listen to the words being read, we study our Bible, we uh, have our prayer life with God, that's holding on to our profession. Because in verse 15, as we need his help, we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but has in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So we have an example of Christ who was tempted just like any human being, just like we are at times, yet without sin. But sometimes we are weak, sometimes we kind of want to give up and curse the situation that we're in. But we are to take these things as they come along without sin. Verse 16, we can't do it ourselves. We have to look to Jesus. Verse 16, let us therefore... Come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Many of us, I know, have experienced this, going boldly before the throne of God to find grace and help in time of need. In the book of Numbers, we see him as the pillar of cloud, the daily light of the people to lead the way to the promised land. In Numbers 14:14, uh, 14, 14, tell it to the inhabitants of this land, for they have heard that you that you, Lord, are. I couldn't read my reading. My writing that you, Lord, are among the people. 
you have your Bible out, you know, uh, what I did on my Bible is I underlined, you are among the people. So we are his people, we are his children, and it says that he is among us. And that you, Lord, are seen face to face, and that your cloud stands over them, and that you go before them by day in a pillar of cloud and in a pillar of fire by night. So we need the light of his word, shine in darkness, and the pillar to shade us from, uh, from the harshness and the realities of this world. So there's not any creature that is not manifest in his sight. That would include you and, you and me. In Exodus 13, 21, I'll quote that scripture. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light and to go by day and night. So at all hours of the day, God is there to lead and guide us if we call upon him. Remember Jesus said, I am with you always to the end of the age. I'll quote again John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And no man comes unto me but the Father, but by me. Deuteronomy, we see him as the lawgiver, as Moses was, and, and show, who shows the blessings and cursings of obedience and disobedience. Moses also prophesied of Jesus that who was to come. John 1.45, quote from there, We have found him, says, of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did right, Jesus of Nazareth. So Moses could see ahead. John 10, verse 29. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. And then he says in verse 30, I and my Father are one. So together... They are as one, under one name, know him together. John chapter 5, beginning verse 19, it says the Son of Man can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do, but what things soever he does, these also do, does the Son likewise. Down in verse 43, and he says, I am come in my Father's name in his authority. Now, over in the New Testament, in Matthew, we see the birth of the Savior. Matthew 1, 19 through 23. I won't read all of that, but in verse 23, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. That was uh, quoted from Isaiah, the prophet. In the book of Mark, we see Christ and the miracles that prove his power on earth. Now we see where he healed Simon's mother, where he healed the blind, where he forgave sins, where he rebuked the wind there in the storm on the sea. And he said, peace, be still. And he sent a legion of devils into a herd of swine. And he fed 4,000 uh, 
on seven loaves of bread and a few fishes, and then there were seven baskets left over. In John 20, quote, verse 30, it says that there were many other signs truly did Jesus, the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that, and that believing you might have life through his name, by his authority. Also in the book of Luke, which pictures the humanity of Jesus Christ, his compassion on people. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 2, 16, verse 16. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham, took on humanity, be human. Verse 17, wherefore in all things it behoved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. Only by becoming human, living in human flesh, could he learn things that we as people go through in our life and to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Verse 18, For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Remember in Luke chapter 19, where it says that Jesus came to save those which was lost. Now in the book of John, it says that Jesus was made flesh, made human, but also that Jesus was God, Son of God. John chapter 1, verse 9 through 14. That was the true light which lights every man that comes into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name, or on his name. Verse 13, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Verse 14, And the word was made flesh, and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So we have the words of the disciples, quoting the words also of Jesus Christ, and we've come to believe in those words. We look at them as the, uh, the authority by which we, uh, by which we live. So when we know that when Jesus, he was up on the stake, you remember the words of the soldier when he looked up and he said, truly, this was the Son of God. So there are a lot of places in which statements are made that confirm uh, God as a son, uh, Jesus as the Son of God. Finally, in the book of Revelation, where all this is leading from Alpha to Omega, that is the message for us today and the one I hope that we will look at, uh, remember, after we leave from here and maybe study on as you look at the outline that I gave you. In Revelation uh, chapter 1, the Apostle John wrote, verses, uh, beginning verse 5, And from Jesus Christ, 
who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins his own blood. Look at our own life. We can see how this it was really an important thing in our life to be washed from our sins. And has made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he comes with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Just so, so be it. Verse 8. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. Verse 12, and behold, I come quickly. My reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. Sometimes we look at that word quickly as that a particular time period in which you know, Christ should be expected to come back. But this coming quickly is somewhat, would be somewhat of a surprise to us. Because some of us uh, meet the end rather quickly, whether in an accident or through disease, or like heart attacks and all of that stuff. Behold, I come quickly. His, but his reward is with him. So a having overcome, having endured whatever affliction there is at the end of our life, the next uh, thing that will be there is seeing Jesus Christ and the crown of life that he's going to give. He said in verse 13, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And then, important to us, 14, blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life, may enter in through the gates into the city. So we are new creatures in Christ. We're still, however, mortal until our change comes, that real change comes. Remember, uh, Jesus said in the beginning, there back in the book of Genesis, let us make man in our image. The Holy Spirit, we have his uh, guidance to do that. But we, as I've mentioned in other sermons, we have to work out our own salvation. We can't do it on our own, but we need Jesus Christ to help us work it out. So, no, no mortal man or just belonging to a organization, a particular church or anything, can assure us of salvation. We need Jesus Christ to stand there as our advocate. He in us and we in him. So we're to draw near to God and keep his commandments as the scripture that we read. Be prepared and ready. Now we know that there is none perfect, that all have sinned, and will sin again. But God's law is written in our hearts. We know to do good, and like those frontlets that uh, some Hebrews wear to remind them of the law, God's Spirit, His Holy Spirit in us, is there to remind us and correct us and show us. First. John 2, verse 1, My little children, these things write I unto you, that you sin not. And, and if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation 
for our sin and also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Though we might sin and break a commandment, we don't give up on them because we know that in our heart we know and realize those commandments. And so we continue in them. We don't give them up. We look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So we have to take heed, the Bible tells us many times, take heed, that is, just take care, be careful not to fall. Don't get drawn away into a spiritual lethargy. We know uh, such churches are, are lukewarm. But God's spirit tells us, it nudges us, it, uh, that little still voice tells us that we might be letting down, that we must not neglect the spirit, tells us which way to go. And it's our choice to, to follow it or not. The Living Bible says, so be careful. If you are thinking, oh, I would never behave like that, let this be a warning to you, for you too may fall into sin. You can't take God's loving grace for granted. And the race is not over. And like this song, it says, we've only just begun. We're still in the race, and time is always of the essence. Now, <clears throat> for some of us, we're, use the uh, basketball term, we're on the shot clock. And, mo and we must do our best to go for the crown that is before us. The aim is Christ. Quote from Romans eleven twenty nine. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Don't give them back. God has given you a gift. You work at it. Stay with it. And I have to remind myself, too, there are certain things that uh, I have that I can't, shouldn't give back. Because after a while you realize this is where uh, God is leading you. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 Wherefore, let him that thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So be renewed. <coughs> We can be renewed by just quitting sin. And like that famous slogan so long ago, just say no. Say no to temptation. And then repent when we do sin. God is sure to forgive because the righteousness of his son who gave his life for us. So we're being formed into the image of God on the inside by the Spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God uh, dwells in us and that we are bearing fruit. Now, Christ has prepared the way. He has gone, you know, ahead of us. 1 John uh, chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God? And it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is an everlasting spirit in his likeness. That is our aim. That is 
the payment of Jesus Christ for each and every one of us. In conclusion, Revelation chapter 22, verses 12 through 14, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, first and the last. 14, verse 14, one to remember. And blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life, and may enter in through the gates of the city.